this is the fourth part in a four-part series. And we have had Sarah talking about Deborah, we've had Lizette, we've had Emma. And I'm finishing off today talking about Mary, um, the mother of Jesus. Um, probably more well-known than some of the other women we've talked about, particularly last week. Um, I'd hope you might have met her before. Um, Matthew and Luke tell the story that she is most well-known for, that being um, being chosen to conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, no small feat. Um, there's, considering, considering that, she doesn't feature a huge amount throughout the rest of the Gospels, actually. So she also features... Um, in Luke, where he tells a story of um, Jesus remaining in the temple after the feast of the Passover and every parent's worst nightmare, leaving, they leave him behind and have to go back and find him, having realised that he is not with them. Um, then um, in John, John records uh, the story of the wedding at Cana, where um, they run out of wine and panic, and Mary says, um, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? And he replies, woman, my time has not come. My hour has not yet come. And she says, whatever he says, do it. (laughs) Um, We're also going to come back to that story. Besides that, there's not an awful lot that she features. Um, She is the only person present at the birth and death of Jesus. Um, John records that she's standing by the cross as Jesus dies. Um, What's interesting about Mary is that in the Catholic tradition, she is worshipped. She is is put on a pedestal much higher um, than than the Protestant tradition does. Um, However, we, in, the, in an, an attempt to redress the balance, have probably swung too far back the other way and not really ever talked about her very much. So I love to redress the balance and find the tension. And so today we're going to talk about Mary <laughs> um, and some of the things we can learn from her. So let's come back to where Mary first shows up. Um, in arguably the most well-known story of all time, the Christmas story. And what better time than Easter to talk about the Christmas story? Um, so if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke uh, 1, 26 to 38? I'll read it out. I think it'll be on the screen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement that becomes a theme, Um, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has conceived a son in her old age, and she was um, also barren, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Um, So we learn a few things through this passage, quite a lot. She learns a lot through this passage. Um, We learn that she's going to conceive and bear a son and he'll be called Jesus. Um, she learns a little bit in this, path, in this encounter about who he's going to be. Um, the angel says he will be great and will be called son of the most high. But of significance for this morning and where I want to go with this, um, she learns how this is going to happen. Um, she is going to conceive through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. 
Um, Matthew and Luke, in their stories, when they record the story of the birth of Jesus, they make it really clear that Mary did not conceive naturally. Um, this was no normal baby. This was no normal birth. Um, but that she was going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. Um, John, on the other hand, Mark doesn't reference the birth story at all. John doesn't tell the story in the same way. So holding on to what we've learned from Matthew and Luke and this story of how Jesus um, came to be born, um, I want to look at John for a second and see what he tells us about um, John about how what he tells us about Jesus, because um, John does not tell the story in the same way. He does not have a narrative in the same way that Matthew and Luke do. Um, his book starts with John's prologue, which um, has ever since I was seventeen, which doesn't feel that long ago, but actually is quite a long time ago now, um, has been one of my favourite passages of scripture um, from when I studied it during my A levels. Um, John's prologue is the first 14 verses, and in those first 14 verses, John introduces us to all the themes that he then unpacks throughout the rest of his book. Um, and we're going to look at two verses today that, um, that, he, that are really significant for this story. And the thing that John tells us through this prose, although it feels more like a poem, um, he introduces us to this idea of the incarnation. So we're going to go there, we're going to go um, straight to John 1, verses, verse 1. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This verse is really um, important because while Matthew and Luke are telling this nice story, which is an amazing story, but it's a story nevertheless, John comes straight in with, um, in the beginning was the Word. In this, in this verse, he is communicating um, and making reference to the pre-existent and eternal Son of God. Um, the Word, the capital W, Word, word um, is referring to Jesus. Jesus, the pre-existent um, and eternal son of God. Before um, Jesus became this baby in his mother's womb, the son has always been and will always be. Sometimes we think of Jesus coming into existence in that moment when Mary gets pregnant and then she gets, you know, has a baby. But the son always was and always will be. And in that moment, he became incarnate. Um, so I rewrote this a little bit just to help us. In the beginning, the word who is Jesus the pre-existent and eternal Son of God. Um, sorry, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, the pre-existent and eternal Son of God, and the Word, Jesus, the pre-existent and eternal Son of God, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, the pre-existent and eternal Son of God, was God. So what we learn there is <laughs> Jesus um, was with God and he was God. In the beginning, he was. The Son has always been and always will be. But then in John 1.14, what we learn is the word became flesh. John 1.14 tells us, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, the pre-existent and eternal Son of God, became flesh. That's sarks, that literally means flesh. Um, and dwelt amongst us. That word dwelt means tabernacled, or to make his home amongst us. So the word, Jesus the pre-existent and eternal son who always has been and who always will be in that moment became flesh and made his home amongst us. The eternal son who had forever passed and forever will be became the man Jesus in that moment in history um, as the Holy Spirit caused Mary to become pregnant. So when we hold the birth narratives of Matthew and Luke alongside this incarnational um, 
prose by John, we understand that in that moment, as the Holy Spirit moved and the Word became flesh, the Word, Jesus, the Son, became a baby in Mary's womb. And unlike any baby ever been before or will ever be, that baby was both fully God and fully man. Um, And I'd like to introduce you to a concept now that's a theological concept called the hypostatic union. Um, That is the coexistence of God and man in the one person of Jesus. Um, This is is much like the fact that Mary got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, which is a complete mystery. This is also a mystery, the way in which Jesus was both fully God and fully man at the same time. And much theological debate surrounds this. I threw my two pennies worth in in my thesis. Um, But as I was preparing to speak, I was so struck by the fact that before the word became flesh on the earth and walked around and did miracles and talked and taught, the word became flesh within the womb of Mary. She carried that for nine months. She carried that divine mystery for nine months um, before before Jesus became man on earth. Um, and we see a glimpse of this while Mary's still pregnant um, when she meets Elizabeth in Luke 1, 39 to 45. Um, now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the, entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So we've come to this point now where we've got, this, we've got Mary who is pregnant with a baby who is both human and divine. He's both fully man and fully God. Um, This hypostatic union, this coexistence of the humanity and divinity of Jesus, when I say divinity, I just mean that he's fully God. Um, This is a tension we have to learn to hold really, really well, because if we sit either side of it, just out of kilter, it can send us in all sorts of dangerous directions. And holding intention means holding together. Um, If we place too much emphasis on Jesus being fully God, we end up thinking of him, teaching about him, living as though Jesus was fully and only God. And the result is we emphasize the difference between us and him. He is unique and we are nothing like him. Um, We place difference and we place distance. And he is God and we are just man. But if we place too much emphasis on Jesus being fully man, we end up just making him one of us. We teach as though he's just one of us. We live as though he's just one of us. And we think of him as though he is not God. Um, We have to hold that tension really, really well of him being fully God and fully man. Um, And the Bible helps us hold this tension really, really well, (laughs) thankfully. Um, He is the son and we are many sons. Um, In Colossians 1.15, It says the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Um, He is the firstborn and we are the many subsequent sons. Um, He is the son and we are many sons. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Um, Again, he is the firstborn, we are the many sons, once we are adopted into his family. Um, C.S. Lewis says, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. So where am I going with this? Um, As I was preparing, and I was struck by this idea that the word became flesh within her before it became flesh walking around on this earth, um, 
I consider the way that actually in the same way that Mary carries the divine mystery of Jesus, fully God and fully man, when we are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, we also carry a divine mystery of humanity and divinity wrapped up in one. Our humanity is wrapped around the Holy Spirit who is poured out into our hearts. Um, I'm not saying we are Jesus. We are not Jesus. <laughs> we have to remember there's a difference. But nevertheless, we are sons. And sons who have been saved and received the Holy Spirit are humanity wrapped around divinity, wrapped around that Holy Spirit who's been poured into our hearts. Um, often and naturally, we are more preoccupied with our humanity. Our weaknesses, our failures, our doubts, um, things that have gone wrong, things that just are normal everyday life things in front of us, the washing, the children, the job, the house we want, all the things that just, all those things, humanity is the thing that often preoccupies us. Um, but I really want to challenge us this morning to raise our awareness of the divine mystery that we have inside of us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Colossians 1.27 says, um, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And my question to you this morning is, how aware are we of Christ in me, the hope of glory? <clears throat> um, and I'm going to unpack this idea a little bit more. Like, what does it mean to carry divine mystery within us? Sounds mystical. Um, but I think it can be understood in two ways. Um, firstly, this, this broad lens, the Holy Spirit was poured out. In Joel 2, 28, 29, there was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Um, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then in Acts 2, we see the fulfillment of this promise. The Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues of, as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. There was a promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. How aware are we of Holy Spirit in us? And to what degree is the Holy Spirit poured out in our lives? Ephesians 5.18 gives us a quite clear instruction on this. Um, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled in, that, in the original Greek is present continuous tense, which means be filled and keep on being filled. Um, am I consciously filled and being filled every day with the Holy Spirit? And in Romans 8, 8, 11, it says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Are we aware of that? <laughs> how how like, conscious are we of that? Am I more aware of my humanity than the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in me? That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me? Um, and then the second lens is more personal. It's more specific to you. I think the way that the divine mystery exists inside of us can is... Um, is the way in which that we are uniquely called and gifted by the Lord. Like There are ways in which the Holy Spirit will show up similarly between us all, and there are ways he'll show up uniquely to me and through me, um, based on how, he, how he's created me to be and what he's put inside of me. Um, coming back to Mary, we have some, she gives us some keys for this. Um, when the angel comes to her at the beginning and calls her for the unique purpose of her life to... Um, to carry Jesus and birth Jesus and be his earth mother. Um, 
he explains that Jesus should be called son of the most high God. He gives us some context for who he's going to be and what's going to happen to her, in fact. And she says, um, be, it, be it to me according to your word. She trusts the word that she's given at the beginning. Um, and then she continues to demonstrate her awareness and her ownership of that word as time goes on. So in Luke 1, uh, 46 to 56, there's the Magnificat where she makes it really clear she knows, at least in part, who Jesus was going to be and what he was going to do. She trusted the word that that angel gave her at the beginning. Um, and then in Luke 2, 19, just after she had a baby, the, the shepherds come. I can't think of anything that I'd love more than shepherds to arrive after having a baby. Um, the shepherds arrive and are like, oh, the angel sent us. We saw, um, the angels told us there's been born a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And her response to that is, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Um, so she gets a word, the angel comes to her. She trusts that word. She says, she, she's saying it back out again. And then she's tr- as all these things are happening, she, the shepherds are coming and telling her more of who Jesus is going to be. She's treasuring these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. Um, and then even when she doesn't understand, and this, like I said before, this comes up a few times, um, she continues to trust and she continues to treasure. So um, in that encounter where <laughs> they leave the feast of the Passover and somehow leave their 12-year-old son behind um, and get quite a long way on their journey home before they realise he's not with them. I can't understand how that happens, but it happened and there's no judgment here because, you know, it's everyone's worst nightmare. Um, they go back and they're like, why, why did you do this to us? <laughs> um, and Jesus' response is, um, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. So even when she doesn't understand, it then goes on to say, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. As the plan unfolds, as these things, she knows some things, she doesn't know everything. As his life unfolds and she begins to see more of the picture, she continues to treasure, she continues to trust. Um, and isn't that the same with us? Like the Lord gives us prophetic words which birth divine purpose within us, dreams and callings that are unique to each of us. Um, and we don't always see the full picture But how aware are we of the unique uh, divine purpose that the Lord has birthed within us? And how do we partner with those words? I think think Mary gives us some really good keys with this whole idea of trusting and treasuring and pondering. Um, For me right now, that looks like uh, I did a PhD four years ago, and then I had babies. (laughs) And um, currently, my season looks like a lot of cleaning faces and nappies and all those things all the fun things that come with that and I love it I am so enjoying that season but I know the word I had and have over my life and I'm working out ways that that can happen in this season and trusting that as life moves on that can there'll be more fulfillment of that so that it can be fulfilled now and in the future I'm trusting with that word and all the many words that came around that but I'm trusting and I'm treasuring and I'm pondering um I don't have the full picture. I don't know what it's going to look like. To be honest, a PhD in theology doesn't lend itself to the most automatic route into a career path. But I'm trusting and I'm treasuring and I'm pondering and I'm really open to what the Lord wants to do with that. Um, Finally, the wedding at Cana. Um, This issue of the wine. There's no wine. Um, Mary requests that Jesus sort it out. She does that because she knows what he was purposed to do she knows something of his of who he was going to be and what he was going to do she knew that he had it within him to fix the problem 
at this point, his ministry hasn't started, so she has no hard evidence for that. But she knows who he is because of those words that she's been trusting and treasuring and pondering. So she calls on him to do that which she knows he was purposed for. He says, woman, my hour has not yet come. That's because he's more concerned about his father's will and his father's timing than a human request. Incidentally, it happens anyway. Um, but my point here is, how do we nurture one another's dreams and callings? How do we help each other, call each other on um, to, what, to do what the Lord has divinely purposed each of us to do? I think that looks like encouragement. I think it looks like sometimes a gentle nudge. Um, it certainly looks like having conversations and knowing what's on people's lives and knowing what the Lord has birthed in their heart, like having those vulnerable conversations where you dare to say, I think this is what I'm born for. Um, so to close, <laughs> I'd love for us to come back to some of these questions that I've raised, as I'm aware that I've probably raised more questions than I've answered. Um, the awareness of our unique purpose and our calling flows from intimacy with him. And the more we are filled with him, the more we become aligned to what he has for us to do, for who, who we're going to be and who, what he has for us to do. Um, so this morning, I'd love to invite you to just consider some of these questions again. How aware am I of the Holy Spirit within me? And to what degree is the Holy Spirit poured out in my life? Um, that Ephesians 5.18, that invitation doesn't run out. That Holy Spirit the be filled and continually be filled doesn't run out it's not exhaustive it's not gonna he's not gonna run out we can always ask for more we should always ask that's a quite clear instruction like be filled and be continually filled is quite a clear instruction to us so this morning I'd love to challenge you to raise your awareness of the divine mystery within yourself and the fact that your humanity is wrapped around and the holy spirit who's been poured out into your heart and and to ask for more of him this morning um so we're going to um, have the ministry team come forward and I'm going to pray and you can stay where you are or you can come forward for prayer. You can do whichever one you want.